When I was a boy, and I know that's a long, long time ago, but when I was a boy, a little boy, we would sing this song in junior church, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Now, at the time, that just seemed wonderful to me. Every day it's going to get better and better because every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. I mean, the song made it seem like every day Jesus is just waiting. He's just waiting to do something wonderful, waiting to do something awesome for us. All you have to do is ask, and he will fix everything. Well, the truth is, it's a little more complicated than that. Yes, some days with Jesus, it's so much sweeter than the day before. But some days with Jesus, it's not sweet at all. That's why I love the account in Luke chapter 24. Here we have a picture of reality. Here's what the real world is going to be like for a disciple of Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, we meet two people who are on their way back home. They're heading back to this little village called Emmaus. They've just spent, these two people are more than just two people. They are two believers. They are two disciples. They've just spent the weekend in the city of Jerusalem, the very weekend where Jesus died. So they were there at the cross, and they saw all the horrible things that happened to Jesus. And seeing Jesus being crucified was just devastating for them. So the Bible tells us as they left Jerusalem and they head back to Emmaus on that long seven-mile walk, the Bible tells us and their faces were downcast because they are overwhelmed with disappointment. And then a stranger comes along and joins them in the walk, and you hear these two believers, these two disciples tell them, we had hoped, and you get this, we had hoped that he, Jesus, was going to be the one to redeem Israel. But now, obviously, with his death, those hopes are gone. He's not the one. And we feel like God has let us down. I mean, think about it. Jesus never did rally an army and take on Rome and defeat our enemy. He never did go around and campaign to lower the tax rate, which in that day and time in first century Israel, that tax rate could get as high as 80% of a person's income, which meant the vast majority of Jewish people living in the land of Israel were living well below the poverty line. And they were living that way because of the mighty Roman Empire and the way that evil empire oppressed the people. We had hoped that when Jesus came along, things might begin to be different. But things didn't turn out like we expected. We can identify with that. We had hoped that the COVID virus wouldn't spread. We had hoped that our business would make it through the pandemic. We had hoped with the economy being down that some way, somehow, we'd still be able to keep our job. We had hoped that our marriage would last. We had hoped that one day our children would begin to follow Jesus. We had hoped that with that surgery, now everything was going to be all right. And then things didn't turn out like we expected. And so... Like the two in Emmaus, our heads are down, our hearts are crushed, and our confidence in the Lord is deeply shaken. Well, here's what's interesting. I find it fascinating that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, Jesus coming to our world. We celebrate this at the darkest time of the year, when the days are short and the nights are long. I don't think that's an accident. I think it's an invitation. I think this is an invitation for us to be honest. To be honest about the dark side of life, to be honest about the hardships that we're going through, to be honest about the disappointments we're feeling, but also at the same time, to be honest that even in the midst of the darkness, there is hope. Because just like the two on the way to Emmaus, when that, saint, that stranger came along and joined them in the walk, they soon discovered that's no stranger, that's Jesus Jesus is walking with us. And so there in the midst of the darkness, the two on the way to Emmaus discovered we've got a real reason for hope. 
Well, today I, I want to give you another example of how that happens. How do we find hope in the midst of our darkness? My example is Joseph, the one that God calls to be a father, the father of Jesus. But in order for Joseph to answer this call, to be the father that God wants him to be, it's not going to be easy. Often things are not going to turn out the way he would have expected. Look at this account with me, Matthew chapter 1. It says this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. came about in a surprising way, a way that took everybody by surprise, especially Joseph. The mother of Jesus, his mother Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant, and not in the normal way that a child is conceived. This child is conceived in a supernatural way through the Holy Spirit. Now, consider this from Joseph's point of view. Right now, at this point in time, he doesn't know a thing about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know a thing about the work that God is doing. All he knows at this point in time is Mary's pregnant. Up to this point, Joseph has been faithful. He's been keeping himself pure, choosing not to be intimate with anyone until he enters that marriage covenant with his one and only. And he has expected Mary to do the same for him. And yet now it's become obvious. There's an obvious change in Mary's physical presence. Her body is beginning to swell. You can see she's carrying a child. And because Joseph has never been with Mary, it's obvious somebody else has been with her. His bride-to-be is carrying somebody else's child. So what is Joseph supposed to think? She's been unfaithful. And if she's been unfaithful to me prior to the marriage, how am I going to be able to trust her after the marriage? What kind of relationship can the two of us possibly enjoy? I mean, imagine the huge sense of disappointment that Joseph is feeling right now. Nothing's going the way that he expected. His circumstances are very troubling and very upsetting. So verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, and they're not married yet. They're just simply engaged. But you need to appreciate the Jewish people back in that day and time, they took the marriage relationship so seriously that once you became engaged, everybody in the community began to refer to you as husband and wife. You didn't live together. There was no physical intimacy until the actual marriage itself. But because the two of you had already pledged yourself to each other, everybody in that community considered that bond, that lifelong bond, it's already now been established. And the only way to dissolve that bond legally is by means of divorce. So that's why we read here, verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, a man who's faithful to the law of God. So he knew everybody in that community would have expected him. Hey, she's been unfaithful. You must divorce. But Joseph is not just a righteous man. He's also merciful and compassionate. And he still cares about Mary. And even though he could have exposed her, I mean, with all the hurt and disappointment that he's going through, the dash disappointments, he could have brought all kinds of public disgrace on her. He could have reacted and imposed all kinds of penalties, severe, severe penalties on her and the life of her family. He doesn't want to do that. He will separate, but he wants to separate in a very discreet and private way. So because, uh, because Joseph did not want to expose her to public uh, disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. At this point in time, he thinks this is the right thing to do. Now, here's my question. We already know the end of the story. We already know Mary has not been unfaithful to Joseph. We already know that what is happening inside of Mary is a work of God. We already know Joseph has jumped to the wrong conclusion. We know that. But why does Joseph have to wait to find it out? 
I mean, Mary herself was told ahead of time that the child that would be conceived in her would be conceived by the supernatural help of God's Holy Spirit. Why wasn't Joseph told that ahead of time too? Why is God allowing him to struggle? Why is God allowing him to be troubled and upset and go through all of this agony? Well, here's how I'd illustrate it. Tammy Kramer was working in an AIDS clinic in Los Angeles, and there was a young man who would come into that clinic on a regular basis to get some medicine. So he's a, a familiar face, and Tammy knew him really well. One day they had a new doctor giving the shots, and this was a young man who did not have a very good bedside manner. So that day as the doctor inserted the needle in the young man's arm, he said, hey, you know, you realize, don't you, you're not long for this world. I gave you a few months at most, and you'll probably be lucky enough if you even live that long. Well, that really upset the young man. And after getting the shot, he went over to Tammy's desk and said, Did you hear that, doctor? Did you hear what he said to me? He shouldn't talk to me that way. How rude. He took my hope away. And Tammy very politely nodded her head and said, Yes, yeah, I'm sorry. I, yeah, he's awfully blunt. But you know what? You ought to think about this. He did take your hope away. Maybe it's time for you to find a better hope. I think that's what God is doing here with Joseph. He's pulling away all the props, all the hopes and dreams that Joseph has for himself, for Mary and their future together, with their family, all that he has in mind, all that he's planning to do. God's pulling all that away. And he's saying, Joseph, put your, help in a, your hope in a better place. Put it in what God is planning to do for you and for your wife and for this very special child that you are being called to care for. So verse 20. As Joseph was considering, okay, what's the noble, what's the honorable thing to do in a situation like this? He's trying to work all this out, all the details. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In the original language, it literally reads, what is brought to life is brought to life by the Holy Spirit. See, here's where the real hope comes in. The hope that does not disappoint. God's Holy Spirit. God living and working inside of us. It is the Holy Spirit who brings Jesus to birth in Mary. It is the Holy Spirit who makes Jesus alive inside Mary. It is the Holy Spirit who makes Jesus a real person in Mary and to Mary. And what the Holy Spirit does for Mary is what he's seeking to do for every one of us. You see, before Jesus can come to anyone and take up residence in our lives, it first of all requires a previous work of God's Holy Spirit preparing this heart to be a home for Jesus, a place where he can live and create a new life from the inside out. So, pause for a moment. Let's just take a moment to think about the Holy Spirit. You know, in our minds, generally, it's pretty easy to get a picture of God the Father because we've seen fathers. And in our minds, generally, it's pretty easy to get a picture of Jesus, God the Son, because he came to this world and lived life from our point of view. He became an actual human being, so we can read what he did. We can see what he is like. But when we try to think about the Holy Spirit, our minds tend to go blank. I mean, what kind of picture are we supposed to have? Yeah, throughout the Bible, there are all these symbols about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says sometimes he's like a dove, sometimes he's like the wind, sometimes he's like fire. But even those images are kind of mysterious and, and, and mystical. And so sometimes when we tend to think, maybe that's why when we tend to think about the Holy Spirit, we tend to think of him as an it, as a thing, as some kind of magical force of power. But he's so much more than that. The Bible makes it clear the Holy Spirit is a person, a divine person. He is God, but he's a real person. 
which means that when he works with us, he always works in a very personal way. So when the Bible presents God the Father to us, it presents God the Father as our creator. And when the Bible presents Jesus, God the Son to us, it presents Jesus as our Savior. But when the Bible presents God the Holy Spirit, here is God living and working inside of us. He's the one who takes what Jesus did, and he now applies it to our lives. So when you think about God, you can think of him this way. God the Father is God for us. Jesus, God the Son, is God with us. And God the Holy Spirit is God in us. <laughs> Do you remember that commercial on TV? It was an advertisement for Snickers bar. You know, it was a commercial where all these guys had come together on a weekend. They wanted to have some fun, so they were playing a game of football. Well, there was one guy who was not performing very well. He just wasn't himself that day. He wasn't playing with any energy or any skill. He was not doing the things that normally he could do. And his friends are getting real upset with him. And so they pull him into the huddle and say, come on, man. You're costing us the game. You're playing like Betty White. Here, eat a Snickers bar. Do you remember that commercial? Well, why did they say that? Why did they say eat a Snickers bar? Well, the tagline, the commercial says, you're not you when you're hungry. And it's true. Everybody knows that. You, you need food to be at your best. I mean, it's just a universal principle in our physical lives. You can't perform well without fuel, without energy, without strength. You're not you when you're hungry. Well, what's true physically is also true spiritually. You're not you. The you that God made you to be. Unless God's Holy Spirit is living and working inside of you. Only then does the image of God really come to life. Now, with that perspective in mind, let's finish the story. The angel is talking to Joseph. And so verse 21, he says, Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because this is the reason why he's coming to the world. He's coming here to save people from their sins. So Matthew comments. He says, now all this took place to fulfill what God had talked about a long time ago. What he said years and years ago through the prophet Isaiah, that one day a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, because Jesus is God with us. So now watch how Joseph responds to all of this. When Joseph woke up, he immediately, first thing, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. One day, at Auburn University, down there in Alabama, one day at Auburn University, there was this professor who gave this assignment. It was a creative writing class, and he wanted to give his students some, some uh, practice to develop their writing skills. So at the very beginning of class, the professor says, I've got an assignment for you today. Rather than just talk about how to write, I want you to do some actual writing. So here's the assignment. Here's the paper I want you to write today. I want you to be as concise as possible, and I want you to give me some directions. I want you to tell me in that paper how to get from the classroom to the corner drugstore. You've got the rest of the hour to finish the paper. So take your time, think this through, and be clear with those directions. Well, 30 seconds later, one of the students walked up to the front of the class, dropped his paper on the professor's desk, and then he left. The professor picks up the paper, and he reads it, and he smiles, and he puts an A at the top of the page. Why? What did the paper say? Well, there are only two words, follow me. Pretty simple, isn't it? So clear, so direct, and yet it's so significant. What's the best way to get from here to there? Especially if you're heading to a place that you've never been to before. The best way to get there is to follow somebody you can trust. Somebody who's already been there before. Somebody who knows the best way to get you there, too. That's exactly what this scripture is all about. It's all about discipleship. 
following God's plan for your life, following what God has in mind for you. Simple, yes, because what does that mean every day? You just simply do what God tells you to do. But though it's simple, never easy. Think about Joseph. Joseph is called by God to be a father, but he's called by God to be a father to a child that he did not conceive, which means to do what God wants him to do, it's going to cost him. Now, everybody in that community and everybody among his relatives, they're going to know. They can count. That child didn't all of a sudden appear nine months after the marriage. No, obviously Mary was pregnant prior to the wedding. So everybody's going to begin to assume either Joseph and Mary were intimate prior to the marriage or Mary was unfaithful to Joseph. Nobody's going to believe what the angels told him. Hey, 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 we got an explanation for this. She's pregnant by means of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. So in other words, for Joseph to be who God wants him to be, to be this father that he's called him to be, his reputation is going to take a hit. He and Mary are going to bear a lot of shame for sins they didn't commit, which is exactly what Jesus one day is going to do for them and what he did for every one of us when he died on a cross for sins he didn't commit. But also consider this. If Joseph is going to take on, if he's going to do what God wants him to do, there's going to be another challenge. Back in that day and time, the fathers were expected to be a big influence in preparing that child for the future. So it was the fathers who were asked to give the name to the child. Because by giving that name, you are expressing your hope. Here's my vision for this child. Here's where I hope to see them one day when they become an adult. But that's taken out of Joseph's hands. He has no say in this matter. Heaven's already made the decision. Sorry, we've already picked out the name. Because Joseph, you're not the one who's going to determine the destiny of this child. It's going to be God. You are to call him Jesus because one day he will save people from their sins. And then the other challenge was this. Fathers in that day, Jewish fathers in that Jewish world, were expected to find a good home, a good place to live, a good community, a good school so the kids can grow up and learn. But again, that's taken out of Joseph's hands. He has no say in this matter. Because of a census decreed by Caesar Augustus way over here in the city of Rome, one day <laughs> at the most inconvenient time, Joseph and Mary have to leave Nazareth and come all the way down to Bethlehem. And then one night in the middle of the night, because of a madman by the name of Herod, Joseph and his family have to leave Bethlehem and head to a place they've never been to before, a foreign country where they stay for an extended period of time. Throughout those early days of trying to be the father that God wants them to be, nothing seems to turn out the way he would have expected. Again and again, his life, his family's life, interrupted by circumstances beyond their control. That's why I think the key verse here is verse 24, when Joseph awoke. He did what the angel commanded. Heaven speaks, he responds. God commands, he obeys. Because with that obedience, Joseph is saying, God, I want this child to be what you want him to be. God, I may have some hopes and dreams for this boy, but I'm beginning to realize you've got some dreams for this child too. I want to see those dreams come true. So God, whatever circumstances are necessary to bring about that result, I'm going to trust you to lead us there. There was a lady named Sue. She had a three-year-old boy who was just scared of the dark. And Sue did everything she could to think of to help her little one overcome this fear. I mean, every night she'd leave the light on in the hallway. She'd put a nightlight in the room. Even some nights she'd just stay in the room with them. But the little boy was still afraid. Well, Sue was now pregnant with her second child. And one night her three-year-old was so scared, so upset, he just couldn't sleep. So the two of them, they went out to the living room. They sat together in a rocking chair and rocking back and forth. Here's Sue trying to calm her three-year-old down. Well, as he's sitting there, the little boy reached up and touched his mother's stomach, and he said, Mama, is it dark in there? 
is it dark inside there where my little brother is? And Sue said, yeah, it's, it's dark in there. The little boy said, well, Mama, he, he doesn't have a nightlight, does he? No, no, there's no nightlight inside of there. They kept rocking back and forth, and you could just tell. The little boy's thinking really hard, and then all of a sudden he says, Mama, is my little brother, is my little brother scared because he's in there all by himself? And Sue said, no, he's not scared at all because he's not in there alone. He is inside of me. That's Joseph. When heaven speaks, he responds. When God commands, he obeys. And every time he does that, Joseph knows I am right in the middle of God's will for my life. Even though it's dark at times, even though he can't always make sense of what's happening in his circumstances, yet he knows every time I, got, I do what God tells me to do, I'm right where God wants me to be, which means I'm not alone. He's here with me. And with every step I take, he is going to provide. Well, if Joseph had that kind of confidence, how much more should we have that kind of confidence today? To know that we're not alone, that we have God's Holy Spirit living and working inside of us. And why? He is here to bring the life of Jesus to life through your life and mine. And how does he do that? When every day we do exactly what Joseph did, we do what God tells us to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for the hope that you bring to our lives. For this wonderful assurance of knowing we're not alone, we have your Holy Spirit living and working inside of us. God, may we never take his presence, his work for granted. God, every day, may we open our hearts so that he is free to have his way in our lives. God, today what I pray for is, may your Holy Spirit take everything that is real and true about Jesus and make it real and true for us. So that, God, we can have the joy, the joy of knowing Jesus and being close to him. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas is one of the most wonderful times of the year because of the presents, the gifts. It's a time for giving. And it's a time for receiving. And think about that aspect of receiving gifts. Christmas is the time when you don't go out and buy something that you want. No, it's a time when you submit yourselves to others. You allow others to give something to you. Whether it's the kids, your spouse, your friends, they pick the gift. And then you willingly accept however they choose to express their love for you. Well, that's why this moment that we're about to enter into, the time of the Lord's Supper with the bread and the cup, that's why this moment is so important to us, because here's an opportunity to once again appreciate God's gift to us, Jesus. He died in our place. He died on the cross to take the judgment and punishment for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And so that because of that forgiveness, we can now enter into and enjoy a new life with him. That's why this time of communion is so precious because it's an opportunity for us to enjoy his presence and to celebrate our friendship with him and treasure the love that he shares with us. As we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let's pray. God, thank you for your grace, your amazing grace, and how your grace is greater than our sin. And God, thank you for Jesus and what he did for us and the assurance that we now have. Nothing will ever separate us from your love for us.
God, thank you for that hope, that peace, that joy. And we thank you in Jesus' name.